0: Welcome to the Blister Podcast, a program dedicated to interesting people, the great outdoors, and a bunch of other stuff we like. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder and editor of Blister, and you can check us out online at blisterreview.com. In today's episode, we talk to Jason Leventhal. Jason is the founder of Line Skis, he's a true pioneer of modern skiing. And two years ago, he left line to start a new company, J-Skis. In our conversation, Jason pulls back the curtain on the ski industry. He pulls it way back, actually, and talks very bluntly and with full transparency about how the ski industry works, what isn't working, and what needs to change to make it better. All I can say is, buckle up and brace yourself. In addition to exposing a lot of gory details, Jay and I also talk about some of the new ski designs he's experimenting with, what the hardest and easiest things have been about starting his new company, and Jay reveals what his next company might be. Spoiler alert, it involves sleds, like the plastic kind, and he thinks I should go in on it with him. Jay has always been known to speak his mind, but I doubt you've ever heard him be this unfiltered before. This episode of the Blister Podcast is once again brought to you by New Belgium Brewing Company. And as we often do at this hour, Justin, Bob, and I are both having a Citradelic, New Belgium's new Tangerine IPA. And for some unknown reason, J-Bob is drinking his Citradelic out of a wine glass tonight. And I have to say, stemware really makes J-Bob seem a lot more sophisticated. So here's a tip for those of you who could stand to up your sophistication game. At your next party, try drinking citridelic out of a wine glass. It's a J. Bob-approved technique. And head over at any time to newbelgium.com to learn more about Citradelic and all of New Belgium's other beers. Now let's get to our conversation with Jay Leventhal. So, where in the world are you?
1: Uh, Burlington, Vermont
0: still in Burlington. What's going on in Burlington right now?
1: I would never leave, man. It's just the best place you can live in the East Coast, at least the Northeast, if you like the cold. It's uh, it's way too warm. That's what's going on. The mountain's already, unfortunately, shutting down a little early mm-hmm. than I'd like. Just bad in winter, but it was epic last year. So, you, you know, you win some, you lose some.
0: So we're talking, what, middle of March, I guess it is. And um, what is life looking like uh for you right now what what are you most been occupied with this week what are you lining up for next week day in the life of Jason Leventhal at the current moment
1: um I'm all about next year at least behind the scenes here I mean I'm trying to sell the hell out of skis obviously always but um that's slowing down a bit and I've just been working on graphics for next year tons of graphics and figuring out how many of what model I'm going to make and What's changing and not changing, and um, just any ideas—just a ridiculous amount of brainstorming with uh, Frank, who does my graphic designs and web guy, and um, yeah, just planning, man, figuring
0: out what I'm doing next. Mm-hmm. And if we're dating back to the very earliest days, so before, well, we can either start this with Line or prior to Line. Exactly. Like, what season are you going into as a ski builder? Um, You know what I mean. Like, this is. So,
1: I mean, I I started in '95, just dicking around in my garage, basically as a as a college project. And so, '95 to '15, so it's 20 years, and messing around trying to make different things that slide different
0: on snow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 20 plus years. Yeah. Um, and then <clears throat> this cycle, though, of figuring out and planning for a coming season. So twenty, twenty years, twenty plus years of messing around with skis, and how many? Where you're looking at kind of next year's cycles and this stuff that you just said. How many we're going to make? What are the top sheets yeah. going to look like? All that.
1: I've been doing it for twenty years, figuring out what to make next. It's usually <laughs> what you're making the next year. You know, it's not. Yeah. 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 We're not five years ahead. I never have been. I mean, yeah. even at the, like the most prime time with line, it was still only a year and a half, and it, maybe two years in advance. I guess we'd be planning. Yep. Right now, I'm planning like two months in advance. You know. Yep. I'm moving like way. I tightened that lead time way down here.
0: Yeah, and and let's talk about that for a second. Let's. We might as well just go all messy and kind of. Obviously, we're we're going to be talking about j skis, but but trying to get a sense of how different life looks how different the business looks sure Um, so if you're talking now about you're thinking about two months in advance um, prior to starting Jay that that was more of a you were looking or planning 12 months or 24 months
1: yeah it was two years so the way it works is so normally let's say this winter or this current winter, we would be developing product that is still being developed right through summer. You know, at Hood, you put the final finishing touches and, and tests on skis. So this winter, let's say we, we brainstorm ideas, we made prototypes, we test them, we did maybe two or three rounds of versions. And now you would be coming into this summer where you would take those prototypes and make samples. And so you'd make these finished with correct graphics so that by November let's say of this coming fall you'd have those those prototypes in final form and you'd start showing them to retail stores at trade shows in person on snow and you would say hey check out these new skis we made we want you to place an order and during that next winter basically 12 months from now we'd have those orders from shops and then that following summer We'd build the skis, and then that following winter, so now you're two seasons from now, they'd finally show up at stores for people to buy and get their hands on. So basically, you, you start your idea, whatever the best idea you have today is, a consumer, an everyday skier, gets their hands on it two years from now. And the way I'm doing it differently now is I'm coming up with an idea, I'm developing it this winter like normal, But then I immediately put it out there for sale. So like I already sold, I I just made this new ski called the Master Blaster. It's like a 96 waist, all mountain free ride ski. I made six or seven or eight prototypes. The first round, you know, they were good, but I, I still want to tweak them a bit. And I put them up on my website for sale. You can go up there right now and buy them. Now they're not the finished, but you can get on them. People love them. And then in a few months from now in the fall, I will be selling them. So I'm trying to do it in as short a cycle as possible, so that whatever the latest and greatest ideas that are that are com- I'm coming up with based on what's actually happening, like today in the market or on the Hill, I'm bringing the market much faster. So I'm cutting it down from two years to more like let's say six months, yep. something like that. I mean, I mean, you could even buy my prototypes right now. I mean, they were just developed like you know six weeks ago. Yep. So that that's the difference of basically selling direct to the end consumer you know the actual skier and that's that's my whole mission is to just tighten up not only the lead time but the distance between me and my customers i mean i love talking to my customers i love talking to skiers like all skiers everyone likes talking collaborating you know discussing product or just how how it was out there showing video and whatnot i want to do spend more time doing that basically interacting with the people i sell and build skis for and then put all that feedback back into developing a better product faster and bringing it to market faster. And you can only do that if you're going to be selling it directly to them, because when you sell to a store, it just you need that lead time. And when you're selling tens and tens of thousands of products, you know, of, of units, then you need more lead time too, because it takes longer to build. You know, that's another part of it when you become yep. a bigger company, which is a great problem to have. Don't get me wrong. I, I'm just not there. So, I mean, I'm building. I sold sort a. Of, about 1200 skis this year and I can build those in, you know, four months, five months. So just that alone, you know, enables me to do it faster.
0: When you're getting feedback from customers, one, one, are you, how, how good is that feedback? I guess I want to know, like, do you find that you're getting some stuff where you're like, wow, that's really useful stuff to hear. And then secondly, do you feel like you are getting um consensus feedback where you really are seeing enough uh enough skiers hit you up and saying "We really want a ski that's does x or you know roughly this width and then i mean in other words is yeah. how how informative is the is that feedback you're getting, and and does it tend to kind of come together and congeal into kind of consensus info that actually would probably be pretty useful, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, I, I know what you're saying. So that's where I come into the equation, and that's what my skill set really is. And that's I've I built that skill over years, like over literally decades of doing this. So so my skill, what I'm saying is, is massaging and like filtering through all those comments and understanding by experience mostly you know someone comes back and says oh my god this is way too soft like you got to make it so much stiffer well maybe on day, on year 1 i would have been like oh my god this ski sucks like i got to totally change it but these days i know enough to think okay so where is this guy coming from what's his history what's his background is he coming from racing is he coming from snowboarding is he, you know did he just learn three years ago and what skis does he have what skis did he grow up riding and thinking about all that and then doing that for hundreds of people by email, you know, me- messaging, Instagram posts, random chairlift rides with people I don't know, um, going to magazine tests, you know, going to four different product magazine tests in which there's 20 testers at each of those, having super casual conversations at the bar on the lift, you know, talking to people in every possible capacity. Not not really like purposely feeling like it's my job, but just casually it happening and taking all that. And, and filtering it down until I, I tell I, okay, I should listen a little more to this type of comment, a little less about this, or, or that's a good comment, but that's not really what this ski was intended for. So yeah. even though that's true, it's irrelevant because I'm actually making this for a guy hitting jumps all the time and riding yeah. in the park and not for someone you know that's just straight lining or vice versa. Or, right. and, and so I'm just constantly filtering and filtering and, and using all of my history knowing like, okay, one time I did make a ski like that and no one liked it. Or another time I made a ski like this and a lot of these types of people liked it, but those types didn't. And that's not something you can like put down on paper or in a spreadsheet or in a PowerPoint. It's not even something you can do through like a, an organized survey. It's just a feel that you get through trial and error. And it's really, I equate everything I do in business. And I think most people in life, anyone that skied, you know, like, you're gonna hit a jump and you never know exactly what's gonna happen until right. you're doing it. And right. when you do it, once you hit that jump, and let's say you saw the kicker was a little bit, you know, of a steep takeoff, and you realize after doing it for a few years, that's gonna throw you back seat. So when you do hit it, make sure you counterweight that so you throw yourself forward or you pop a little bit more and you're gonna land a little better. Well, like those first three years of falling and making it sometimes and not making it, that's all part of a learning process so that eventually you're like Candide and you're like a cat you know thrown out a window you're always gonna land on your feet and, and it's kind of like that's the only way to get good at anything is trial and error and so I'm taking all of those years of trial and error and all those discussions and and so that now I can hear someone and and know exactly what to do with that information you know whether I use it and to what degree and in what way and what product and that's true if you're a mason, you know, working with brick or, or you know what I mean, a yeah. computer programmer. It just takes practice.
0: Yep. Yeah, experience goes a long way.
1: Yeah. I'm the <clears> ultimate <throat> filter, man. That's what I do is I filter. And the, the other thing about what I do that I think makes me good at it is there's never a bad idea and there's just never, um, I, I never blow anyone off. Like I just, even... I mean, if there's some beginner and he asks me some question that someone might blow off, is like, that's a really dumb question. Or like, oh, of course he doesn't know anything. Most of the time I'll turn that into something. It might give me an idea, spark some idea to go in some other direction for some other product or some marketing campaign or some initiative. I mean, there's just, it's one gigantic collaboration. Like I was talking to um will weston the other day uh, email and, and just saying dude congrats on like winning x games um it's like freaking virtual x games like you send a video and of your urban skiing and i mean it never yeah. existed And he was like sitting in my in my house coming out of college and he, i want to travel the world as a skier now that i've graduated college and it was kind of like how the hell are you going to do that well it's like one thing led to another and he was like He was stoked on just the fact that it progressed from him sitting there and then needing, well, dude, I'll give you some skis. How about you know we make these videos and stuff, and we'll cross promote it. To like now he is traveling the world, he is living out his dream, and I'm so stoked. Yeah. And I was telling him like, dude, it's 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 not anything I did or anything like just you did. It's a gigantic collaboration. It's like Hmm. all the people that ski all the movie companies that ever done anything for each other like someone on on youtube that made a comment that led to something else it's like we're all in this gigantic ski collaboration you know like even yourself like you're doing these review these product reviews which leads someone to maybe learn about my skis and then they they, they one day turn someone else on to skiing because of that or some mm-hmm. connection there you know what i mean it's so the way I see it is like there's no bad ideas. Listen to – everyone has to say. Even if you don't necessarily act on it that moment, it's going to give you perspective. And one thing will lead to another, not just yourself but other people. So that's my
0: uh, deep thought for the day. <laughs> Collaboration. Not, none <laughs> it's, of us – The none entire of us are... ski
1: industry, dude.
0: Yeah, Yeah,
1: it's it's small. We're all helping each other, whether we want to or not, or hurting each other, whether we want to or not. Everyone affects everyone else.
0: We talk about, and I I wrote something on the site about this: um, that there are skis, there are sort of, there are good skis, period. And some of those good skis are good for beginners. Other skis can be good for experts. Um, And I'm curious in your experience about this. You've you've made a bunch of skis over the Mm. years. If you think about the skis that have maybe ha- had the most success mm-hmm. with with newbies, mm-hmm. are uh, there are there also high level skiers that actually like those same skis? Or you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. or, or or has that been like, dude? No, it's two different products we're talking about here. Um, because, I get it. You get it. Yeah. Yeah. What?
1: So so back in the day is different than today because back in the day there only was stiff skis and honestly it really wasn't good for for most people like they were always designed for olympic racers that had like legs of steel yeah you know training to go 70 miles an hour down a hill and i mean i remember as a kid it was like even me and my friends we were like bragging about how stiff our like 203s were 207s -hmm. you know and so at that time that was the worst because everyone was stuck on the same ski made for the same world-class athlete of which no one was and then you fast-forward to today and there's hundreds of variations so that you could technically you you're you should be able to hone it in for someone that's you know if let's say that's their first-time skier or they're let's say like less aggressive then there's definitely a design that's gonna make them feel more comfortable and I would say that's just, um, I mean, a little bit of a lightweight feel, just an easy to kind of pivot feel. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also easy to initiate a turn without powering into the ski a lot. You know, like you shouldn't have to exert a ton of energy. You're just trying to learn how to balance for the love yep. of God. You know, like yep. survive standing up, sliding downhill. So you're, it's hard to also think about. Well, I got to put power into the tip, and I got to really roll the edge. So you, you could, I think in theory, I haven't worked on a ski specifically for beginners, but that's my theory is like you'd want something really forgiving. And back in the day, a forgiving ski was like, that's not a good ski. But today, there's a lot of people like that want a really playful ski in terms of being able to purposely overpower it. I mean, you look at the way like Henrik Carlisle, Phil Casabon. Um, all these guys that are like pressing the hell out of the ski, like the, the this crew, the bunch, you know, they're like yeah. riding up to rails and not even sliding them. They're like bouncing off them. They want a ski that's just going to be really, really forgiving in that same way. They're not looking for a ski that's over carving. I mean, they'll carve yeah. off a jump, but you know, you can carve most skis anyway. So there's a place for forgiving, easy skis that can be overpowered for even high level skiers. But
0: exactly, yeah.
1: But, but I'd say, like, they, they probably still want a little more oomph, you know, because they're high level, they're doing things faster, harder, more aggressively. But, you know, for years, no one was making a soft ski. And, like, guys like Eric Pollard, he wanted to do snowboard-like tricks, which at the time meant buttering, pressing, which yep. wasn't being done. And we had to, like, work really hard to just let our brains design a ski that was thin enough to flex enough to do that and and just it was kind of like general practice in ski design I think initially because the screw length of the bindings people wanted you know you need a thick surf platform under your binding and the, the thickness of the ski is what determines the flex I mean that's why the tips are thin like the, it's the same fiberglass running on the top and bottom and it's the distance between that fiberglass that either stiffens it or softens it so If You you have to really thin out underneath the binding the thickness of the ski to get a really soft ski that can butter and do all those things. And if you do that, it actually carves better. And I know this is like contrary to belief because you're thinking, well, carve, I need power, I need stiffness. But if you – I've been playing a lot with like softer flex underfoot. Yep. And it's kind of like a new secret. Like it's crazy because it'll just – Like you were describing your view of the metal, how it was like easy, just easy, just that word because, Mm -hmm. and it was easy because just your natural weight of your body on the ski was bending it enough under your foot to carve a turn with like out, you know, any Mm -hmm. excessive power being applied to the product. So there's just like, and back in the day or even a few years ago, you would, that might have been considered just a wimpy ski and like not good enough for an expert skier. Mm -hmm. So dude, like anything is, any, any ski can be good for high level or beginner, depending on what you want to get out of your ski and how much you want to put into it.
0: Yep. I still, I still find myself dumbfounded by the fact that pretty much every day I'm skiing in bounds and that's whether that's in New Mexico or Utah or when I've been on the East coast I still see people who are clearly quite new to the sport or, or not very comfortable on their skis, yeah. a, a, on, on demo skis. Like, they're, when it's clear that they're on a demo setup, I still want to know why demo fleets tend to be these, like, 75 underfoot flat-tailed <laughs> skis. This is literally the stupidest thing in skiing, maybe. Like, I... I, I I truly don't get He's it. Going. Oh
1: no! Anyone <laughs> listening? He's going to start raging. <laughs>
0: time, for, time for a rant. No, I, I just, I don't get it. Like, I, I think, again, there's been this, you know, big conversation and in, in across the world of skiing, you know, are our yeah. skier numbers going up? Are you know numbers declining? Whatever, and it's like, you know, you want to know my best idea to try to get. <laughs> No one to want to enjoy the sport of skiing. Put new newer skiers who are renting skis on these flat tail 75 underfoot skis that are incredibly difficult to turn unless you actually know how to get a ski on edge. Uh-huh. I'd, I'd, I'd like to take this moment to any shop listening to this to think you're killing the sport. Thank you. Thank you for killing, like murdering the sport.
1: I don't know. I think it's the ski boots are probably 90% of the problem. <laughs> well, I,
0: I hadn't gotten to that yet, but but yeah, it's I I just I literally don't get it. I I'm thinking what do they know that I don't? Well, and maybe
1: that they're just thinking it's like quicker edge to edge or something. For, I mean, it is, right? And it's lighter. I don't know.
0: So you're worried about you're worried about quickness edge to edge for people who are just terrified of like getting down a mountain.
1: Well, what would you say the width should be?
0: I think it's less about width in particular, and I do think the biggest thing is I just I always am looking like why does that ski have a flat tail? Like a flat kind of well, squared tail. They
1: back up or something, or
0: because that ski is if you get into the any bit of punchy snow, yeah. um, it's just not going to be it's not going to be your friend. Um, I haven't even
1: been on a flat-tailed ski for freaking twenty years, honestly. Like and, and so I, I mean, don't I don't even know. Does it really feel that different?
0: It it feels it definitely feels different. And you know what? It's awesome if you are someone who has done a bunch of days skiing and knows how to put a ski on edge. But yeah, it, yeah. it does feel like a bit of a cruel joke. Like if, <laughs> if if I was just starting to ski and this is what you put me on, skiing would definitely not be as much fun. As if oh, I was yeah. on a ski, where you know it's like there's a nice balance of stability, um, but I can pivot this thing, and it's you. You said it. I mean, you just want to find a big sweet spot and and really like ha- enjoy your day on the mountain.
1: Yeah, dude. Um, you know, now that you say that, I, I believe you because so I make so the, these two models I make the It and the All Play. I initially intended them to be more park oriented, and the thing I did the most different about them is put very little camber and a lot of soft flex underfoot um, so that you didn't have to put a lot of power into them. They can be like kind of surfy. The other thing is I put like a powder tip shape in them Mm -hmm. with a hair of rocker so that when you're flat, they're really surfy. But when you put them on edge, of course, they're going to carve. And so I I was initially thinking like kids buttering and pressing and like these kids don't, you know, they they don't, I say kids, but people that want to do park style riding, you know, you're only going to carve to a certain amount. The rest of the time, you really don't want a hooky, catchy ski, like you right. catch an edge, you know, like you're describing yep. is bad for that. But it's also, which would make it, you know, so sort of that, that easier, forgiving, surfy feel, I end up selling these skis all day long to people that call me or email me and say, I need an all-mountain ski. Like, I don't know if they know what all-mountain means, but it just yep. sounds like a ski that can do anything. You know, yeah. like, I don't know. I'm, I'm just fucking going skiing dude like i I don't ride park i don't go in the powder it's like the person you're describing like i just want to go i go for a one-week trip a year those people call me back or email they write the reviews they're flipping out they're like this is the most fun i've had in 15 years on skis and now i think i think that's what it is dude like yeah like those those rental skis you're right they're stiffer and they're made for someone that knows how to carve a ski and like wants stability and and wants to put energy into the ski to get something out of it i'm sure
0: yep i it just it doesn't make any sense and and again like for the record i actually love i love i love flat-tailed skis they are super fun if you have had the opportunity to ski a whole bunch and know what you're doing but again i so i don't i don't want i don't want this to be an attack like uh, or thought of, or heard as an attack on like that flat tailed design. Yeah. But again, it's that the people I see on those skis that are clearly on rental setups, I think we're not doing them. We're not yeah. giving them a better experience on the mountain.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. That makes sense. And same with the boots. I think the boots are a huge part of it too, but I that don't is know what true. the hell you're going to do, man. I mean, any, but but anyway, I think, you know what, man? Like, that just spurred an idea for me of, like, I should just make a ski that's literally, like, this is the easiest ski in the world. And if you're learning to ski, get on it. And I should make it at, like, a rock bottom price with a simple, you know, just – but the thing – here's the hardest part. The the reality is the mountains, they make the, the, indus, uh, the companies selling skis, they don't pay them for two years. And they ask for, like, such – practically below cost. So, like yeah. – the way that works, like I would never even be able to sell them to a mountain because like, they've got a fleet of, let's say, Bale Resorts buys 500 skis from Rossignol. They're going to, for lack of a better word, Rossignol has to like pull their pants down to get the deal. And if they don't, Salomon will. Salomon does not Atomic will. So everyone's battling to get their logo on a new skier for the mm-hmm. first time. And I'm not saying this has to do anything with the ski design, but it is really hard to get like for someone like me or anyone to just suddenly have 500 pair in, in Vales rental fleet, you know what i'm saying? Yeah. It's yeah. just like like they don't even pay you for 2 years, you know what i uh. mean? For the product. Yeah. So anyway, it's a, it's a whole game. It's it's not so easy as for you to say, "Hey guys, you should be giving them like uh the Rossi S7 instead. They'd have a much better time. It's like they're trying to make the cheapest ski possible because they're selling it for nothing to the mountain." Yeah. Part of the problem. But but a cheaper ski could still be awesome. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. I don't know man I don't know maybe no one thought of it that way it's just like what's the easiest ski to ski not the cheapest old school style ski we can give them
0: well that yeah because cheapest old school style again is the worst design they could be on and when I say I mean you should definitely do this like I I'd love to see a revolution in our demo fleets because Mm -hmm. I watch these poor people and I just think you're I guarantee you're having a worse time than you could be having out on the mountain today, yeah. and what? How is that good for anyone? <laughs> anyway, there's an opportunity here. I okay. I, I, I think you should. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd like you to. think. I'll look
1: into it, man. You I look will. into
0: this one, and we'll we'll uh, we'll see if we can get. Yeah, I mean, whoever. I don't honestly care what company does it, but I just think somebody's got an opportunity yeah. here, and and. Uh, Dude, we gotta yeah. make
1: skiing great again.
0: Make skiing great again. Yeah. Um, talking about, um, let's talk more about J skis. Um, in particular, we'll, we'll end our demo fleet rant and how it's ruining the ski industry. But, uh, um, you have now, how long, how long do you date like the existence of J skis? It's been Um, around.
1: Well, it started in like October 13, 14, 15, or wait. Yeah, so I don't know. It's two years, yep. a little over two years.
0: What, um, what's been the hardest thing so far in about the new endeavor?
1: Um. So the the reality. So when I was dreaming it up, of course I, you know, I was really really stoked on selling direct and having that flexibility and thinking wait okay instead of having to sell to hundreds of stores and all the complexity that goes with that I'll simply put on my website be like yo there's a hundred pair like buy them and then they'll buy them and it's over and it's like that's pretty chill actually but the reality is you got to communicate constantly to get the word out constantly and social media is exhausting a lot you know it's it's cheap and it's like quote unquote easy but it takes a lot of time like just to tell enough people about enough product often enough where they're going to remember and be conscious of it when they go to make that purchase let's say they walk into a store and the guy's like hey buy these you know because they've got 20 of this model on a shelf they have to the shop has to pay the company for they want to get rid of them yeah and to convince that person to actually remember wait I saw that post on Instagram from Jay and I really did like that ski. You know what? I'm going to say no and I'm going to go home and buy it online. Like it just takes a lot of pushing out there and a lot of customer service because I'm a retailer now. And so what I thought was just putting a product on a website and the kind of like being like, sweet, can't wait to sell them is now constantly communicating, which is cool. It's just time consuming. And so like I ended up this winter and it's all a great problem because you know I ended up selling a lot of skis and growing a lot, but I, I just had no idea what I was in for when it comes to selling literally every ski separately to an individual person. And yep. um, there's nothing I don't like. It just took for I mean I was working, waking up at five in the morning, and literally work until one in the morning. You know, I mean I would take break, have dinner with my family, do that, whatnot, try to pretend I had a normal life. But the reality is like. All Thanksgiving Day, Christmas Day, New Year's Eve—like I was checking on orders, and yep. you know, some kid was like, "Oh, I wanted a 178, and I accidentally ordered a 171. Can you change it?" And I'm emailing the warehouse and tracking stuff with FedEx. And dude, it's nuts. But yeah. like now that I went through that, I I've realized okay, I need a customer service person, and I've got more systems lined up to be put in place so that I'm not drowning in that stuff, and I can stay have, have more fun with, uh, you know, creating product and marketing and whatnot.
0: Yep. Yeah. <laughs> that all sounds, um, somewhat close to home.
1: <laughs> Dude, it's a startup, man. Like yeah. it's, that's how it is. You got to figure it out. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um, on the flip side, what has been the sort of easiest thing or, or what has been easier than you maybe anticipated initially it was going to be?
1: Um, guy, I mean, you really don't have a clue. Like you literally write a business plan and you're like, this is what's going to happen. This is how I'm going to do it. And even with all my years of experience, you you kind of like after the first day, you just like put the, the plan in a folder and never look at it because reality is so different. And I, I guess, I don't know, I, I think the reality is I my goals and my plan. I don't know if I even believed it. Like I was hmm. so so everything was I didn't have a lot of expectations other than like I'm just going to go in this, like drop in with as much speed as possible and I'll figure it out when I'm in the air and try to stick the landing, you know? Yep. And so I guess the only thing that was easier um well Thanks to my engineer, Francois, who's been with me forever. He designed a ton of great line skis for years. Like, he made making great skis on the easier side. Um, and part of that is like he's tied in with the factory I'm using, and his, his experience is like dwarfs mine in terms of like the engineering of skis. I mean, I, I work with him, but he just, if I describe what type of ski I want and how I want it to feel, he can turn that into CAD drawings and numbers build a mold and you go ski it and you're like this thing is already awesome like i'm not sure how we're going to make it better and then you do a few more refinements and it's just epic so luckily surrounding myself with the best people i've ever worked with um this guy mark fankhauser who's a graphic designer in seattle and francois an engineer in quebec they're the two you know behind the scenes people that really you see a lot of in the front you know it comes through me mm-hmm. and I'm directing it but my buddy Frank, he makes unbelievable graphics and it was so much easier and faster than I ever expected to go from hey I got an idea to him literally sending a tiff file and Photoshop to the factory and then printing it up on a digital printer and like holding it in my hand like that's unbelievable and it's something that if I went to Europe or Asia you would have been talking months turnaround and yeah. a lot more expense and nowhere's near the flexibility. So what I would suggest for anyone trying to start a business or an entrepreneur relating to product is it's never been easier in the history of time to develop and produce product. It's just mind-blowing. I mean, mm-hmm. everyone wants to build it. So you know, if you have a decent engineer and a good graphics guy um there's always someone with their hand up saying, "I can make that for you, and I can make it fast." Mm-hmm. And um, so maybe that answers it. Mm-hmm. But, but you do need good people, you know what I mean? But oh, oh, you know what else was easy, dude? Is the website Shopify I use? It's seventy bucks a month, and I mean, I'm ex- I literally set connected my bank account, and five minutes later, I was accepting Amex, PayPal. I mean, I could take Bitcoin. It's ridiculous. That's the other. So making product and and making a website these days has never been easier.
0: Yep. Yeah. It's true, <clears throat> and I think it's kind of. I, I agree with you. Making the product, getting the website up, and then if like you just sprinkle that in with the willingness to kill yourself, <laughs> you you got you got something there.
1: <laughs> That's exactly it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I am like preaching to the choir. <laughs> yeah,
0: I, I'm i supposed to go give a talk in a couple of weeks, and and uh, it's, you know, it's kind of uh, to kind of a business crowd, and, and um, I just keep coming back to that. Like, if someone's coming with, you know, people hit you up with business ideas they have or whatever, and really in the back of my mind, I'm just thinking, are you kind of willing to kill yourself? And I I mean that pretty seriously, you know?
1: Um, Well, dude, I mean, if you're passionate, that's why I tell people never do something that you don't absolutely, you're not absolutely passionate about. I mean, if you love what you're doing, you're going to be good at it because you'll not give up until you succeed, right? Like, I mean, if it was something you didn't enjoy, you would just give up. You'd be like, well, I don't like doing this anyway.
0: I want to ask you about uh, Francois. Um, I was The very first podcast we did actually was with Jed Yeiser. Yeah. and uh Jed and I were talking about Francois and I need to I need to settle a question I'm hoping you know the answer to this we've got talking about the old line mothership okay and I was asking Jed like how the hell did the mothership ever get to be a line ski i mean that that was a pretty burly stiff i mean the thing was offered in a 195 and and so jed was he had offered his take that he's like i think françois you know designed that thing but and and background on this we were talking a bit about kind of brand consistency oh yeah and you know punchline it was like well if there was ever a ski if there was ever a line ski that made sort of no sense you know like one of these things is not like the others yeah. It was the mothership. So I, I, you know, well, which, jetted... Here's
1: the thing, dude. There was a mothership before... There was two. There was one when the first fat ski was called the mothership, and that was a 98-waisted, 90, uh, I think it was. Mm-hmm. So that, that was like the first one, which wasn't crazy stiff. Then there was the one with like the wood veneer top sheet. Yeah. Is that the one you're yep. talking about? Okay, so that was like... The, we, we brought it back to life in a totally different DNA. And that one was because a lot of people still like line was always making softer, more playful skis. And we were always getting that request for like, I want a more powerful ski. You know, you always hear that. Oh, it's not stiff enough. So we were like, all right. (laughs) You know, like, and and, and we're also like looking to expand, you know, like you can only make so many park skis, so many super, super fat skis. You only make so many of so many skis. So, it was like, well, let's make this freaking big mountain ski. And people say they want a stiff, and they like that Dina Star. <laughs> what's that Dina Star ski?
0: Well, there's the XXL. and Yeah, the just like all oh, the stiff, yeah.
1: like Alta guys. So we brought back the mothership name, but with that DNA. Yeah. Uh, and there it was, and it didn't do that great. <laughs> the reality is, it's like those five people that are like shouting all day with pitchforks and torches outside <laughs> your door, like we need a stiffer ski. We need a stiff. All seven of them get pro form anyway. Mm -hmm. And it's like, so we learned our lesson. But, and yeah, there was a little bit of a Francois pro model going on in a longer length. Like, you know, I like to, uh, I like to help my people that work with me have a ski they like too. You know what I mean? Yep. (laughs) And he, he comes from racing, man. Like he's, he was a legendary Quebec racer and dude. So he loves a powerful, super carvy ski. He also likes narrow skis. Mm-hmm. But um, I mean, he can rip anything, and he's a big dude. He's over six foot and two hundred something pounds. Hmm. So there was his pro model, man, the one ninety whatever mothership.
0: One ninety five mothership. Yeah,
1: okay. <clears throat> which he, I think I almost remember him saying it's almost
0: too much. For <laughs> <laughs> his own he he disliked his own pro model.
1: I don't know. He probably liked it, but you know, everyone's evolved. Like if you think of a ski, so here's the thing: like if anyone's got an old park ski. Now, 10 years ago or more, 15 years ago, it was like, oh, that Rossi scratch is so soft. Or, like, that line 1260 or Solomon 1080 or – like, people used to think those skis were really soft, all those park skis. Go flex that thing, dude. I've got my first twin tip, like the 1260 and the Austin's Dragon in my basement. Those things are stiff.
0: Hmm.
1: Like, even – Even, like, we had the Anthem, and everyone thought this was, like, the butteriest ski. Like, we have a cult following for this Anthem ski. We brought it back for the traveling circus ski. It was not that soft. Like, it wasn't even that great, like, as a park ski. And so we've all, all of our judgment has evolved. I mean, it just does, because you slowly ease into these softer skis, surfier skis, less camber you know, less need to I mean, I was even talking, <laughs> like I was getting shit from uh Ashley over at Powder at Powder Week. He's like, I watch this video and there's a bunch of these park kids and they don't have poles. Now I love Ashley, but he sometimes likes to just like like all of us go get intense on a subject. And he decided it's not skiing if you're not holding poles in your hands. Wow. And I'm just like, here's the thing, dude, go watch a really good skier these days and they roll their ankles, they probably, they only plant their pole when they're on like a really steep face or something. And, and that's going back to the roots of like poles were not just for pushing, but they were to initiate a turn because your skis didn't initiate mm-hmm. a turn. Right. So that's just my thinking is like you look at a racer and they don't plant their poles and they're carving the shit out of this. Right. Thing, right. You know? And so like poles are just, because people feel like awkward without holding something. And so imagine when you're in a park, you're getting on a chair, and off a chair, you actually don't need poles. Like you'd only need it to push yourself around and you're not going anywhere, you know, beyond the chair. So like just everything has changed around us and we've adapted without realizing it. So what what is currently a stiff ski is actually a really soft ski 15
0: years ago. Mm-hmm. That's my theory. <laughs>
1: I think it's I don't always... think that's has anything to do with what you asked me, but there's
0: <laughs> No, I like it. I I just I think it's so funny when people feel the need to stake positions about like that's not skiing. Like oh, one, yeah. why do you care? And, and and I don't know, maybe just two, why do you care? But I that one <laughs> makes no sense to me whatsoever. Um Yeah. Um, anyway, um, (laughs) you don't have polls.
1: I mean, it is just skiing, but we are all super passionate and man, people are just coming from different
0: angles, man. Yeah. Yeah, But that's, I, again, like I, like I think in (laughs) politics, I understand where it's like your candidates, an idiot, you know, that, that
1: 500 skis sold a year. Like there's none of us. Like if we start, start separating everyone by what we don't think is skiing, you're not going to have anyone left.
0: Yeah, it's uh, <clears throat> There's is, like
1: 17 of them left that are like, yes, I like this type of ski. I ski like this and on this type of terrain, you know, yeah, yeah. It's, it's too small, man.
0: Hmm. Well, see, again, this is why you you have an you have an option here to save and grow the sport of skiing because you're going to start making the best demo fleet skis <laughs> and people are going to go ski them for the first time. and Be like, this is awesome. And the guy guy next to him on the shitty flat-tailed ski that (laughs) you have to be actually a good skier to ski, he's going to have a bad time and he'll never come back to the sport. But everybody on the good new J-Skis demo skis (laughs) are going to love it and tell all their friends. So this is simple. I mean, I really think this is a big deal. and, And I think it's really stupid when people who spend a lot of time in this arena just talk about, yeah, the decline, the decline, and it's like, well, you're not doing anything about it.
1: Yeah, dude, that's a problem with right now, not problem with, but like my perspective on SAA, you know, that organization does the industry trade show. I don't think we need those guys to spend, to create the trade show and ask manufacturers to spend the money they do just so that a retailer can communicate with a manufacturer with a brand like those guys are communicating already all the time they're getting visits by the sales reps they're getting calls by the sales managers they're like going to regional trade shows and and demos what we need that organization like to do is to build a build more skiers like get more skiers to go skiing and like mm-hmm. it would be awesome if there was like programs and i i actually tried doing something like this like to get more people to hill more affordably, because like you're mm-hmm. right about the product's performance, but what about just the cost? Like right. the barriers to entry are huge. Yep. And so what we need is like, and they do this in Vermont a couple times a year for certain types of uh, kids or something, where it's like on this day it's just free. Like just come here and try skiing. I mean, mm-hmm. if SIA as an organization could coordinate every single hill in the country to have one day hmm. where anyone that can that says I don't have equipment and so I am not a skier technically, like I'm not, I don't go and I won't go to come in and go for free and take a lesson, dude, that's yep. how you build a freaking sport. That's how you get participation. Yeah, you know and. I don't know. I don't know if that, if there's really a huge cost to that. You already have the equipment there. You already have the chairlifts running. Like, there's nothing you're other than a little more manpower fitting people up. And there's definitely some cost to instructing. And that's the thing too. You got to get a good instructor. Like, how many people bring someone skiing for the first time? Yep. Like, hey, I'm going to bring my buddy skiing. It's like you don't know how to teach them, and they don't have the money for a lesson. Yep. So that's where I think. At one time, I did when I started my company. I said, hey, if you you can buy my ski, or, or even if you don't buy it, you can send me your old ski. And if someone writes in or something and says, "Hey, like I'm out of money, or I can't afford new skis, or something, or I want to learn to ski," I would like donate it to them. I would ship it back out. Oh, I did cool. it once, but it was like it, it, not enough people are even thinking that way, you know? Yeah. So. That's just a little like pet peeve of mine. I mean, it's it's the same idea. It's just like let's have this organization that's standing and supporting the ski industry. Figure out the absolute shortest route to transform people that would like to ski into actual skiers.
0: I like it. I like how this conversation is just turned into how to save the ski industry. I think is, is-, is there any
1: other thing more important? I mean, dude. I, I literally, this company too, I, I don't know, this is a whole other thing, but part of my mission here is to create a, a system that you could have a small brand selling skis, let's say under 2,000 pair, and be profitable. Create an actual system, like a cookie cutter uh, platform, and that's part of my experiment with my company. I mean, it's also survival. Like, I gotta, I need to make money, otherwise I will not have a job. But my goal is to, like, sell basically 2,000 pair and be profitable. And that's never been done. Like, every single ski company that isn't one of the big, you know, Rossi, Salman, Atomic, you know, all the line, Armada, Armada and Line are the only two small brands right now that are profitable, I'm willing to bet. Like, every single other one is not breaking even. Like, there's still, I've talked to a lot of ski companies and they're borrowing money, they're getting investors still year after year. It's, a, it's basically um, a project, an art project, you know what I mean? Until you're profitable. I mean, my company right now is an art project. Like I'm still not profitable. I borrowed money from people to do this, but I hope to be next year. And if I am, I could say, Hey, look, this is how you do it. You got to stop nothing wrong with shops, but it's just, you can't make money as a business selling to shops. If you're selling less than 20,000 pairs of skis a year, like it's, it's a known thing. Like, If you want to do the retail game, if you want to go to trade shows and have sales reps and you need then a sales manager, then you need dealer catalogs, and then you give lower pricing and terms and all the things that go into that, you need to sell 20,000 skis a year to be profitable. Not one of these other micro brands is doing that, so none of them are profitable. And by next year, I hope to to be. I think I will be. And I've I've, uh, offered to every ski company, and anyone listening, like I will – Literally give you every bit of information I know from all my experience to help you survive. And the reason is, if we don't, and if then you're left with just these public companies basically running skiing. And that's the mm-hmm. problem is these public companies, their only purpose is to make profit to go to Wall Street. So let's say Line, for example, very profitable ski business. Every year, at the end of the year, they take the money and they have to give it to their investors that own the public company, that owns these brands. Same with Rossi, Atomic. They're all publicly owned. So there's no money being put back into the sport. That's why you see guys that are on the podium in the Olympics with literally no sponsors. I mean, there are guys that win the X Games that don't have to buy their own jackets. So there's not, and that's why you see the movie companies, it's one of the reasons, like, there's not enough financial support, and there's, like, most of the guys that you look up to in skiing are working summer jobs to finance it, just like any other ski bum. So, if you look at the the independent little brands, they actually are putting money back in. Like, they've got bigger rosters of teams than the big companies, you know, and they're doing events, and they're doing demos, and they're doing things to give back to the sport, and they don't even make money, and they're doing that. So, And if you don't have all those small companies, you're going to go back to 1995 when I started and there was 10 gigantic corporations selling, you know, black skis with a silver stripe down it. And I don't want to go back to that. So part of my mission behind the curtain is create a system for running a small but profitable ski business and exploit that, distribute that system to anyone that wants to start a ski company and make a living at it, you know, without having to sell their soul to corporate America.
0: <laughs> wow.
1: That's my, and I'm running for president next time. About that.
0: <laughs> I mean, I think if you jumped into the Republican side, <laughs> I, I think you might have a shot. There's a, uh, yeah. Um, and <clears throat> so this idea for a system though, I mean, you're not talking about or are, are I won't put it that way. Are you talking yeah. about sort of an umbrella or unifying organization? Well, well,
1: you could do that in just the terms of sharing information. I think, but everyone yeah. wants to do their own thing, and and they should. They should be independent in their like, their position and their product line. There's lots of differences, but what I'm saying is like a system. Like there's a system of selling to retail yeah. stores. You know, like there's a pretty much yep. cookie, a blue form a blueprint. Yeah, a blueprint for it and. And all, and there isn't one for for being a ski company that sells less than twenty thousand skis a year, there's no blueprint for being profitable. There's there's it's never been done. I mean I challenge any ski company to call me up and tell me they're profitable, like, I want to see their numbers. And it, i mean, I talk to them all, you know, it's just the way it is. It's like like literally, so you sell a ski to a store for six a store sells a ski for six hundred dollars. They buy that ski for three hundred dollars, okay? And or say a little over 300, it costs you 200, maybe even 250 dollars. So you're making, you might make by the time you're done shipping it back and forth and all the other things, you might make 50 to 75 bucks, maybe 100 bucks a pair. I mean, you just do the math. Like try to pay yourself one person a, a decent wage, and then fill an office with four people. Oh, we need a graphics guy. We need a this guy, that guy. It's like. You're losing money, dude. Like sponsor an athlete for five grand. Like, how many do you have to sell? You know what I mean. So it's like five grand divided by. I mean, you just got to sell a lot. You know what I mean. And and it doesn't. It just doesn't add up. I mean, some some of these companies have been around for eight years, and they're still borrowing money, and people. Yep. I mean, skiers, there are a lot of wealthy skiers out there that want to say they own a ski company. So there are people raising their hand saying, hey, I'll give, I'll put in, I'll put in. But eventually they say, you know what, dude, this is this is cool, but it's really not working. I'm out. And you hear of them shutting down, you know. And it, it's going to happen more and more. And it happened, see, this is the thing, this already happened in snowboarding. Like I was making skis while watching this happen. There was 300 snowboard companies my first year of the SA trade show in 96. Um, And you know, how many are there now? You know? So everyone's patting you on the back one day saying, you guys are the coolest. I love what you're doing. Rah, rah, rah. The next day your bank account dries up and it's like, Oh, I remember those guys. They were so cool. So, I want to keep them around, you know, and I want to figure out a way yep. to do it. And I think I have. And and I, I'm sorry that it doesn't involve selling to retailers. Like, I think retailers are key. They get skiers involved. It's just as a small business, you can't afford to do it that way. That's
0: it. You, though, two different numbers. You were talking about earlier in the conversation, you were saying that next year you were hoping, I think you said this, you were hoping to do sell 2,000 pairs? Yeah,
1: just under 2,000 probably.
0: But then when you were talking about uh, the kind of profibi- profitability benchmark, yeah. and I think you meant on the current sort of retail system, that benchmark or that ceiling uh, is 20,000. You
1: do, yeah. yeah. If you're selling to retailers, yep. meaning you're making 100 bucks a pair, whatever yeah. that is. <clears throat> yeah. you, and I'm not doing it to be greedy like, sweet, dude, I'm going to make three times as much money. Yeah. Here's the thing like with Line, it took me 15 years to become profitable. I sold the company twice. Like by the time K2 owned it, I owned nothing and I made no money selling it. Mm -hmm. So it was literally an art project and it paid me a little bit. Like, you know, I got to pay my bills for gas and food. But 15 years, dude, it took to get to that, what you're saying is a benchmark of the right volume of skis to sustain itself. And not need investors to, to basically give you free money. Mm-hmm. And, and basically I sold, I, I kept getting investors to the point where I didn't own anything anymore. And mm-hmm. then I was in debt still and K2 bought it and saved it. I mean I give huge props to K2 for doing that. Um, and Armada had a lot of investment money. Millions over the course of its first 10 years to get to that point. So, you know, you can go that route, but you need a lot more money than most of these small companies have access to. Yep. And now they're there and lines there, but there's another 50 brands that are just kind of trying to make it day by day out there and I don't want to see them go away.
0: Hmm. Um, Switching gears a little bit, <clears throat> um, and we've touched on this, but I mean, you really, uh, among other things in the industry... Um, You certainly are recognized by pretty much everybody, I think, for your abilities on the branding and marketing side of things. And I'm just curious if you are still looking around today, if you kind of keep your eye on other companies, um, either in ski or in snowboard or well beyond those categories right who Mm -hmm. what companies are you looking at or seeing and thinking man those guys are killing it right now in terms of their positioning or branding or marketing Mm -hmm. or you kind of head down you're like dude I've been doing this for 20 years I I kind (laughs) of you know what I mean
1: (laughs) I'm not cocky in that way but what I am I definitely go both ways like the one thing is I should if I looked around at skateboarding and snowboarding more I would have way more better ideas I mean that's how Every idea comes from another, you know, so it's an evolution. And so I want to do that, but I don't have any time these days. So, which sometimes is good. And and other times I pay no attention to ski companies. Just, I don't have time, but I'm also not interested because I'm afraid it's going to lead me to following something instead of just, like, coming up with something out of thin air. Influenced by another sport or another anything. I mean, you could go to, like... I mean, you can go out to a restaurant and come up with a great marketing idea. You know, this shit comes from everywhere. And the best thing I can suggest is, like, drive in the car without the radio on, you know, and don't talk on the phone. You'll just start daydreaming about great, really good ideas. But uh, so as far as brands killing it, like, I just haven't paid that much attention. I'm actually just getting old and behind, I feel like. but um, But, I mean, in skiing, I don't know, man it's tough. Like there's, there's the big companies are self constrained by their, I mean, I was part of it. You know, you become, you're, you're controlled by your distribution. So like you end up not being able to be edgy or as creative and like freestyling as much because you have to get almost an, uh, an unofficial approval from like, let's say a global sales team, you know? Like, hundreds of salesmen that then answer to thousands of stores. (laughs) So, like, you want to make some crazy-ass graphic, and you just can't. Because, like, you'll never get all those people to say, yes, I can sell a lot if you do that. So you end up starting to make all-black skis. And that's why, like, look in the buyer's guide. They're all-black skis with a colored tip. And um, so I can't really look into ski companies for inspiration much. But... I look at everything outside of it.
0: What's the best question I haven't asked you yet?
1: Um, should, should, if you really like skiing, should you start a ski company? Should you think about
0: starting a ski company? I like company? it. Okay. That's <laughs> what I'm asking. <laughs> I
1: get asked that all the time. Is that right? So I actually have something on my blog. It's like, how do I get in the ski industry? So. So you happen to be skiing, so you're thinking I should make skis, but that, but that's like the furthest thing actually. And I'm not saying don't make skis, I don't want any competition, like hell, you want to make skis, go make skis, but you know, just know that there's thousands of different jobs in the ski industry, and you could be thinking about skiing a lot, I mean you can be an accountant for a ski resort, like let's just say you're, you don't have to literally physically build the object that you're riding. Um You could, and I would say the the best thing to do is to get some experience, just so that, you know, one thing leads to another. You can still always start make skis in your garage just for the fun of it. I'd say if you ever, if you just want to make skis, like I just think it would be really cool to make skis. Make skis. Like go to skibuilders.com, they have all the information. But starting a business is different. Like I would make skis, have fun, go skiing on them. But in the meantime, go get a job relating to skiing. and The best place to start is in a ski shop because you're gonna meet literally someone that works for every single company that sells product to that store. I mean I don't know another job where you can meet that many people. And there's gonna be a time when they say hey I can use a hand at this week's demo or this is sales event or whatever and just always raise your hand. Always try to get involved. Do something more than you got hired to do and a retail store. It may seem like, well, that's lame. I don't want to just sell jackets. But you wouldn't believe the number of product managers. And this, this is someone that like globally, def, you know, develops product for like, for example, Atomic or K two or any of these big companies that started as as a shop employee. I mean, J- Jeff Mature, who runs K two, you know, been there for twenty years. He started at the bottom. I mean, he's running every brand under that umbrella right now. And so any, any opportunity you get is a good one if, if at all they say the word ski during the, that business hours. And then in the meantime, if you want to make skis, do it as a hobby, just like making beer as a hobby. But it's probably the hardest thing to be profitable at, meaning like literally pay yourself um, for (laughs) yeah so i don't suggest starting a ski company and and there's also think of all the ski companies that exist why not go work for one of them go tell them you work for free doing something i mean they're all over colorado utah northwest a couple in the in the east Mm -hmm. and you'll be making skis without taking a huge financial risk
0: you know yeah if you weren't doing j skis if we made you get out of the ski industry altogether you're not making skis you're not doing anything in snow sports yeah and we were like all right man you got to start a, a new business
1: Hmm. I, well, I have so many ideas man i kind of figured
0: I... <laughs> <laughs> give me give me the top one or two
1: i don't know they're all brand related like it's it's the brand that makes it cool like there's like an east Coast-related brand that of like clothing. I actually have it. Like, um, it's the it's the EastCoast.co. I, I made it just that's the web address. But um, it's kind of more of just like this is what I think it would be like. I haven't like gone full bore. There's a sled I made like for sledding down a hill that you can literally lean over and turn it. Like me and my kid, I saw him on a sled when he was a little kid, and we started like making these crazy prototypes. <laughs> 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 so, I got these sleds. Like, I literally molded this huge plastic sled in my garage with them. And, and it, it's pretty wicked. Like, I want to patent it, but I just never get around to it. I never have time. Um, <laughs> You're going to start a sled company? <laughs> yeah, I like s- it. Sledding is, is so fun. Like, when you have a kid, like my kid's 10. I mean, in the winter, it's like one of the funnest things you can do other than skiing,
0: it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta get myself sledding again. I've been yeah, missing you,
1: out. You just go down a hill and you're completely out of control. Like there's no, <laughs> you're just flying, and it's like hilarious. But my sled, you can actually control, and that's why it's it's actually really revolutionary. But um, but it doesn't matter. Sledding is still cool. I also have this idea, this like sticker thing where I sell stickers. Like because every kid's always asking, like, where do I get this sticker? I can't find these stickers. And dude, sell stickers. There's a couple of businesses that have done it and they kind of went away. Hmm. I don't know, man. I just don't have enough time. I mean, I guess I just <laughs> everyone's like, just get a ton of interns, but you know, it takes a lot. To it do takes it, a as lot you know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to take it away from what I got here. This is my best bet. Yeah. In the meantime. So hey, yeah. if you don't wanna do if you don't wanna, you know, do your product reviews anymore. Come into the sled business with me now.
0: <laughs> That's it. That's great. I've got a Sled uh, reviews too. You could add your site. Sled reviews. Yeah. And if you start your business, we'd have one sled review up on the site. So <laughs> that if, yeah, you have to, you could launch an entire new category of blister reviews if you just stop being selfish and start this revolutionary sled company.
1: Yeah. It's not, and it's not sled like snowmobile sled. It's like right. literally a plastic sled. Right.
0: J-, J sleds
1: <laughs>
0: we already got the name oh yeah huh. well oh, dude good. <clears throat> good to talk um i think we might wrap since uh we're Dude, uh, anyone
1: listening this long is freaking ridiculous man i <laughs> off to you for <laughs> sitting still <laughs> All right. but um uh,
0: yeah man it is good to talk and and um and it's really good to get really good to get that update um on how things are going and, and uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, and I think it is pretty inspiring talking about some of the ways uh, your openness to share some of your experience um, with some of the smaller companies out there. And, and um, I think that's very commendable and, and um, I'd love to, I'd love to see it. I mean, I think nobody wants to see um, some of the smaller companies uh, struggle or go away. um, And I think it, yeah i think it just will be clearly good for the sport as a whole um so yeah I'm, I'm excited to hear all this and and um much continued success thanks man yeah we'll talk to you later all
1: right, see all you.
0: right. <laughs> bye that's it for this edition of the blister podcast thanks to jay leventhal for the conversation to our strikingly handsome and very sophisticated audio engineer justin bob and to new belgium brewing company for sponsoring this episode go to newbelgium.com to check out all of their current offerings until next week be sure to check out what we're up to online at blisterreview.com and if you haven't already be sure to subscribe to the blister podcast in itunes And while you're in iTunes, we'd love it if you went to the ratings and reviews section and let us know what you think of the podcast. Thanks, everybody.